back in the studio with Catalina Tomo, but today we're not talking about relationships or any sort of social media stuff. We are talking about something a little off the beaten path, video games. Catalina, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So this is in the wake of the World Health Organization declaring that video games can cause people some problems. Uh, The International Classification of Diseases uh, released on Monday that video games meet the criteria for an addiction they're calling gaming disorder. So Catalina, off air, you and I have had debates about what is addiction, what is not. The, you, you've mentioned that that word gets abused a little bit sometimes. Tell us about that, how sometimes we might overuse that word like, oh, I'm so addicted to Starbucks. It's really to overuse the word. It's got a punch. People relate to it. Um, it really connotes the fact that there's a problem. And in popular discourse, as well as in the research literature, people tend to use addiction a lot, disregarding the fact that for addiction to take place, certain very specific criteria have to be met. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to me that the World Health Organization has concluded that these criteria have indeed been met for addiction. And now we can we can use the term provided that we measure it correctly and that we have the evidence to back it up. I feel like every girlfriend in the world is like, well, of course, this is an addiction. Like you guys are just catching up to this obvious (laughs) thing that we've known forever. (laughs) That's a good point. And the first criterion, the most important criterion is that this behavior is producing negative consequences um, in a person's life, including relationship problems. Get on Tinder, you'll see how many (laughs) negative consequences there are here. (laughs) So if it interferes with people's relationships, with people's sleep, with people's eating, with people's social functioning, Mm -hmm. work functioning, um, some really serious consequences can can occur. And and if they do, that's a, a critical criterion. If you're just playing a lot of video games and you feel that it's a lot um, but it doesn't really disrupt your life you're just maybe a little anxious about it that's not addiction so it has to disrupt life it has to actually get in the to, way of- yes it's got to be disruptive in a mm-hmm. significant way and i think lots of the cases that people have been looking at researchers have been looking at do show evidence of these disruptions people play video games for 20 hours a day they fail to go to school Mm -hmm. they lose jobs they lose relationships don't Um, do their homework they don't do their homework they fall back in school these kinds of things are problems don't take care of their bodies you have bad diets bad health in terms of not getting outside habits sleeping Mm -hmm. hygiene is a problem and for young people in particular this is really disruptive now is this a situation where the industry knew about this First, I'll use an example. There's a video game I used to play as a kid uh, that at some point, one of the iterations of the game had a timer you could turn on that would would turn off the game so you could go to work, which to me, I remember thinking, oh, they know this is addictive and they're trying to help people. Mm -hmm. They they seem to have recognized Mm -hmm. the addiction years ahead of time. And now these sort of regulatory groups are catching up. Well, that's an interesting point. I don't know what the gaming industry knows or doesn't know, but it is a business and they're interested in selling video games and having people use the video games. So there's a lot of design for engagement or the Mm -hmm. idea of how do we design these games so that they immerse the users, that they involve and engage the users and keep them coming back. So that's one aspect of the of the situation. The other is there's a lot of pro-social video games out there and there's a lot of ethically minded designers. And now that we know that this is 
potentially addictive, we're opening up uh, a new space for talking about regulation on the one hand. So this could be governmental regulation about how to design these games, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and also self-regulation from the industry who is trying to implement design solutions. And that's what's really interesting, right? The design can cause a problem, but can also produce some solutions, mm -hmm. implement some design uh, solutions that could reduce this problem, just like the timer that you mentioned. That's really interesting. So that's the negative repercussions of this. What other criteria do we have to get to uh, for something to be considered a disorder, not just, oh, I'm addicted to lattes sort of a thing? <laughs> that's a great question. The first criterion that we've just reviewed is that it produces substantial negative repercussions in a person's life. It disrupts daily functioning in some significant way. The other criteria are tolerance, which is the idea that you need more of it to get the same hit mm. in the same way that you would need drugs or alcohol, just more to get the same high, basically. Interesting. Developing okay. tolerance is important. Related criterion is withdrawal. When you no longer have access to it, you're out of sorts, you're not feeling good, you miss it, you have intrusive thoughts, you keep thinking about it. Dreaming about Fortnite. Dreaming about it. Have your... You know, your hand kind of click away on the mouse even in your sleep, even though clearly you're not using the mouse because even your muscles are have memory of, of this activity. The other criterion would be compulsive use, so some element of compulsion, which refers to the idea that even if you want to stop, you feel like you can't. Again, that goes back to that timer that shut the game <laughs> off because you can't shut it off yourself. You need a third entity, right, to shut it off because you yourself cannot. If you're not going to talk to me and you choose to play this game, go ahead. You're choosing this stupid game, whatever you're doing on your computer, over talking to me. Move out my way, no. dude. No. Babe, this is it. Call of Duty, dude. Exactly. After you play Call of Duty, you no, only play this. Bro. Like, which one is it going to be? This is annoying. Fortnite right now, I'm gonna f your face off. Get off Fortnite, f pay attention to me now. <gasps> no! Get off Fortnite! So at the top, we were talking about boys and girls and how this affects relationships, but that most of those are boys. 12 to 20 year old boys are the most susceptible to it. Why boys? Is there any sort of indication? Is it, are we just immature? What, what's the deal? I think I was just telling you in our informal conversation that I have no idea why it's boys, but there's research showing that uh, men are social and boys and men are socialized to be much more comfortable with technology. So they have greater access and greater confidence in using all sorts of technologies smartphones, the internet, even basic things, and they're ahead of women. Even now, there's a really big gap in technology use. Even when you look at dating sites, there's more men than there's women, um, and so on and so forth. So I think this comfort and confidence around technology plays a part. Mm -hmm. There's probably other factors mm -hmm. uh, that makes uh, young men and boys particularly prone to developing this disorder. Because I'm trying to play, man. And you're always playing. You're always playing. Let me play Fortnite! Let me play Fortnite! Let me play Fortnite!
You showed me some numbers before we got on air that among gamers in the United States, 1% to 2% uh, might be addicted, and in China, as high as 10% of gamers might be addicted. That is correct. So the statistics on the prevalence of gaming disorder basically shows that there's a national difference. The majority of cases of gaming disorders tend to be registered in Asia, particularly China, much more so than in the United States. And it's it's quite telling that it was the World Health Organization who first labeled this, per, this problem mm-hmm. rather than the American Psychiatric Association. They're pushing back against this a little bit. What's their argument? Why are why are they a little resistant to to accept this? I'm not sure to what extent they're pushing back on it. I can tell you that in the latest version of the DSM, that's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and it's considered the Bible for psychiatric disorders. Internet gambling and gaming disorders were uh, placed as an addendum requiring mm-hmm. further study and further research mm-hmm. um, with the potential of being considered as addictive. So I think they're considering very much actively. Um, having a disorder included in the DSM is truly a big deal because it's what insurance companies use and what okay. doctors use for treating patients. So lots of researchers have heard from parents who are just absolutely horrified about what's happening to their kids in terms of gaming disorder, but they have no recourse because the DSM doesn't yet recognize gaming disorder as an actual addiction. The insurance companies won't cover it. There's maybe not as many facilities and doctors who can treat it. Now they are considering it, they're doing research. So let's see what happens in the future in the next iteration of the manual. What else does this affect in terms of the long term? Well, there's government regulations of the industry uh, in terms of designing games. There's self-regulations of the gaming industry that we've talked about. There's doctors and clinics and practice practice and education for people who can provide support for people with this addiction and insurance coverage in the, the monetary aspect. And I should say the other interesting aspect is that research so far shows that there's comorbidity between um, this gaming disorder and anxiety, depression, and ADD. So comorbidity means that these um, disorders tend to occur together. Mm. Um, It also means that people who already have depression, anxiety, and ADD are at higher risk of developing these disorders. We have this, again, this connection between, earlier we're talking about physical health aspects, but this is also mental health aspects, that Mm -hmm. if you're cutting out people in your life, if you're losing your job, we're also jumping into areas of depression because of of all those negative consequences as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense that they are bundled together typically. Okay. Thank you, Catalina, for coming in. Thanks for having me. Always fun to chat.